Welcome to the Feeling Bookish Podcast, audio essay edition. I'm Robert Fay. This is the second in our new series of audio essays, readings, and sound experiments. Today's audio essay was published in 2019 on the site Three Quarks Daily, but it feels more relevant than ever. It's called Václav Havel's Guide to Politically Dangerous Times, and that's how it feels right now in the U.S. for sure. And part of this danger is the sense that there's no sane, human-centered approach to rejecting the insanity. All we're given are politics, partisans, combatants, lies, and that just won't do. This is why I love how Václav Havel conducted himself in 1968, at a moment of epic danger when the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia. To me, Havel embodies the artists, the writers' answer to danger, stupidity, and war. Here is a model for us, and we don't have many right now. A model that, albeit, is a playful Czech one to dealing with a violent, insane world. I appreciate you listening. Here it is. Václav Havel's Guide to Politically Dangerous Times On the morning of August 20th, 1968, the Czech playwright Václav Havel had a serious hangover. He was at his country home in Leverick after a night of boozing it up with his actor friend Jan Triska, who would emigrate to the U.S., and I'm not making this up, in 1977 and eventually appear in The Karate Kid Part 3. While Havel, of course, went on later to become president of a free Czechoslovakia. Equally astonishing. But on that summer morning, these two men were still just people of the Prague theater world. They caroused at night with their artist and intellectual companions, slept in late, and then worked diligently on their respective crafts in the afternoon, much as their colleagues in London or Paris or New York did. But these familiar routines came to a halt on August 20th, when the Warsaw Pact nations, led by the Soviet Union, invaded the country, ending eight months of political reform and expanded social and civic freedoms that has since become known as the Prague Spring. In the popular imagination, certainly in the U.S., the Prague Spring has been both sacralized and mischaracterized. It's been crudely lumped in with the 1960s political unrest in the West, something like the Summer of Love, Slavic style. But the anti-establishment countercultural youth rebellions in the West, in, in cities like Paris, London, and San Francisco, actually had little in common with the Prague Spring. In the U.S., the protests centered on critiques of American military involvement in Vietnam and on social injustices, while in France, it was an explicit attack on capitalism by students, workers, and members of the French Communist and Socialist parties who were united by their uh, hatred of President Charles de Gaulle and the conservative forces he represented. In contrast, the Prague Spring was primarily a reform movement within the KSR, the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia. It was an attempt by KSR members to change the party a little, maybe experiment with new ways of managing the economy, as well as loosening censorship laws. The Prague Spring was not primarily idealistic 20-year-olds in the street, but old men, communist old men, who had power and were looking to reform the one-party rule, not overturn it. Now, there is no doubt the changes in the appointment of reform-minded Alexander Dubček in January of 68 as first secretary of the KSR 
essentially the president of the country, inspired artists and intellectuals and the population at large to start dreaming, talking, criticizing, and imagining a country free of foreign intervention and the rule of one party. But the Czechs weren't trying to imitate George Washington or Che Guevara. This was an attempt at achieving, quote, socialism with a human face. Russian historian Vladislav Zubok, in his book on the crisis, writes of how Soviet dissidents viewed the external political events of 68, the view from Moscow, in other words, quote, the Prague Spring was closer to the hearts and minds of the Moscow-based intellectuals and artists than what was going on in the West, the so-called Western New Left radicalism. The anti-Vietnam protests among radical youth in the West did not find the slightest response in the quarters of the dissident movement in Russia. Moscow intellectuals also refused to share the Western radical infatuation with Maoist cultural revolution in China. In the opinions of one Moscow witness of the May events in Paris, French neo-Marxist intellectuals and students were, quote, possessed by satanic powers. They worshipped revolutionary violence, while Soviet liberals and reformed communists abhorred it. Havel also disapproved of this as well, in his own way, of these neo-Marxists in the West. In the spring of 68, he traveled to New York, a rare privilege, to see a production of one of his plays, and he also made time to visit England, so he knew what was happening. During the trip, he saw firsthand the youth protests. His biographer, Michael Zentofsky, writes in Havel A Life that Havel was sympathetic to the, quote, release of youthful energy in 68, but he was not supportive of, quote, attaining freedom through violence, hallucinatory visions, or free sex, and was certainly, quote, astonished that people could dream of introducing voluntarily the, sign, the kind of doctrinaire, tyrannical system he and his countrymen were right then busy trying to dismantle. When Havel learned the news that the Soviets had invaded, his first instinct wasn't to grab a rifle or draft an essay, but to volunteer for resistance service with Czechoslovakia radio. And so in the first few hours of the day, as Soviet tanks and airborne divisions swarmed over the country, Havel prudently decided to use the airwaves to call for help. But instead of requesting NATO infantry divisions, he called upon more subtle forces of opposition. His writer colleagues abroad, men like Gunter Grass, Kingsley Amos, Max Frisch, Jean-Paul Sartre, Arthur Miller, and Samuel Beckett, to name a few. And though these writers did not fire a single rifle round at Soviet troops, they began to write and speak about the invasion, drawing the West's attention to this violation of Czechoslovakia. A few days later, the Communist Party in North Bohemia published a manual in Liberic titled To All Citizens. It was a how-to manual for dealing with the invading soldiers. Havel was most certainly one of its principal authors. He wrote, quote, Approach the presence of foreign troops as you would approach, for example, a natural disaster. He continued, quote, Do not negotiate with them just as you would not negotiate with torrential rain, but deal with them and escape them just as you would escape rain. Use your wits, intelligence, and your fantasy. Excellent advice. Very useful. The image of a rainstorm with its inherent irrationality is the perfect metaphor to guide people through an irrational nightmare. Suddenly, with no warning, a Russian soldier with an AK-47 appeared in your backyard. He doesn't speak Czech. 
He has tremendous power over you and your family. And he likely has no understanding of why he's been ordered to tromp around Bohemia. The pamphlet continues in a truly Havalian touch to evoke two Czech models of behavior for interacting with these dangerous foreigners. The models are drawn from both literature and history. Quote, if at certain moments you decide that it is more appropriate to behave like Jan Hus, behave like Hus. If you, on the other hand, decide it is more effective to behave like Schweck, behave like Schweck. In our current world, it's an unimaginable bit of political prose. You have the future president of Czechoslovakia and at the time the de facto spokesman for the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia advising citizens to navigate a dangerous and complex situation by acting like either a medieval clergyman or a character from a Czech novel. Jan Hus was a Czech Catholic priest and reformer in the late 14th and early 15th centuries who attacked church corruption. He was accused of being a heretic excommunicated, and burned at the stake after refusing to recant. Schweck is the protagonist from the novel The Good Soldier Schweck, published in the early 20s by Yaroslav Hasek. The book is a Czech classic, beloved and revered in the way The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is in the U.S. Schweck is a Czech simpleton who serves in the Austro-Hungarian Empire during the First World War, and his behavior is so simple and pure that people cannot decide if he is undermining the army or just an imbecile. The American equivalent, though not an exact one, would be the bumbling marine Gomer Pyle in the popular 60s television show Gomer Pyle, USMC. It is unimaginable that an American leader would advise Americans to deal with invading Russian or Chinese troops, for example, by acting like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, or the character Bartleby from Herman Melville's short story, Bartleby the Scrivener, a story of Wall Street. But the Czechs, being a small nation, surrounded by large powers in Central Europe, have had to digest far different lessons than the people of larger countries. It was understandable that Harvel evoked Schweck because the Czechs have learned to admire characteristics contrary to those associated with patrician martial leaders such as Charles de Gaulle, Winston Churchill, and Teddy Roosevelt. Not being able to resort to brute force, the Czechs have learned to appreciate the more subtle man, the reflective man, even the weak man. Czech novelist Pavel Kahoot was active during the Prague Spring, and he wrote in his, em- his memoir, From the Diary of a Counter-Revolutionary, of how this Czech affinity flowered during the brief leadership of Dubček in 1968. Quote, Dubček's real magic, with which he enchanted old ladies in retirement as much as university professors, lay in his weakness. After the divine leaders of the Stalin era, who had insisted that the photographers retouch every pimple and radio technicians remove all sibilance from their broadcasts, it was pure joy to watch a man who seemed to be dying of stage fright. The vulnerable, authentic leader with stage fright is nowhere to be seen today. In fact, the current list of political leaders with nationalist strongman tendencies who toy with authoritarian impulses continues to grow by the day. Brazilian President Bolsonaro has recently joined a list that includes Trump, Rodrigo Duarte in the Philippines, and Italy's interior minister, Matteo Salvini. There is a lot of consternation in the West about this turn to the right. There are fears that the age of liberal democracies are an eclipse 
In the U.S., opposition to Donald Trump's nationalist regime takes the form of a partisan fight with predictable legislative gridlock and a conviction among citizens that all politicians, left and right, are motivated by self-interest alone. Havel remained deeply skeptical about the value of political parties. He was never a member of the KSR, and during the bad years of the 1970s, when he was hounded, harassed, and spied on by the STB, the secret police, he didn't like to think of himself as a political activist or dissident, preferring the term, quote, public intellectual instead. Havel believed that Czech communism, quote, wasn't the manifestation of a political line followed by a political government, but simply a fundamental assault on humanity and truth itself. And humans stand against it alone, abandoned, and isolated, end quote. In his famed 1978 essay, The Power of the Powerless, he notes how dissident political groups and parties in Poland and Czechoslovakia had become naturally defensive in their outlook. But Havel believed this was a fundamental flaw, because politics should be about proposing positive solutions. Quote, politics always assumes a positive program and can scarcely limit itself to defending someone from something, he wrote. There is an important lesson here. Citizens opposed to Donald Trump, for example, can't win by articulating the most artful and sweeping condemnation of Trumpism. He is not an ideology or a political platform, but the expression of a worldview that seeks to degrade human beings, first by desecrating the truth, and then by degrading life itself. The opponents of Trump must live within the truth, in Havel's famous phrase, and offer and affirm what is essential in life, which is laughter, love, wisdom, nature, art, religion, and everything else that is inexplicable and wondrous about the human experience. The American people are dealing with a host of enemies right now. In a way, no less dangerous than hardened Soviet paratroopers. Yet our enemies are mostly homegrown characters, which makes them infinitely more dangerous. So, in the spirit of Havel and Czech cultural wisdom, I say to my fellow Americans, if at certain moments you decide that it is more appropriate to behave like Abe Lincoln, behave like Abe Lincoln. If you, on the other hand, decide it is more effective, to behave like Jim Carrey, behave like Jim Carrey. Thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think on Apple Podcasts or contact us on Twitter at FeelBookish. You can also follow me at RobertFay1. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.